Our scripture reading today comes from John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and the life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who was the true light who gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He came into this very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So we really have missed you um, and Happy New Year's and Merry Christmas as well. Here's some good news today. Uh, Like I said in the call to worship, it's still Christmas. Uh, If you're wondering why our decorations are still up here in the studio, um, we aren't just lazy. Christmas, historically for the church, has always lasted 12 days. It's always been from December 25th uh, through January 5th. Christmas doesn't end technically until January 26th. And after the year that we've had, I just think we ought to take every single second of Christmas that we can get. Like, we should take all 12 days. Uh, I say this every year, and I mean it. I think that one of our great gifts to the world, uh, the evangelical world, is that we could offer them 11 more days of Christmas. What's a better job than that? Uh, So this Sunday, we are beginning, and actually, technically, it's a few days early, uh, but we're beginning a season at Springbrook called Epiphany. And, um, and that means a couple of things for us. One thing is, for those of you who grew up Catholic, and there are a lot of you, uh, then it means that on Wednesday, you finally get to take down your Christmas tree. Um, and it also means here at Springbrook that we are beginning a new season, a new look at an old story, a new season of intentionally looking at the life and the heart of the story of the man, the baby who was born in a manger. So uh, what is Epiphany? Uh, Epiphany is an ancient, like centuries old uh, post-Christmas feast that celebrates the word of God getting out into the world. That's what this season will be, a celebration of the Word of God getting out into the world. If you look at the word epiphany, just the word itself, it it kind of feels like uh, what it means. It feels like something new, like a new revelation or a fresh thought or a fresh insight. Um, Epiphany literally means shining through. For us at the Vineyard, Epiphany is what it sounds like. For us, it will be a season of looking at uh, the familiar stories of Jesus within the context of the celebration of fresh thought, a celebration of new insight with hopes of new revelation from the Spirit uh, during this season. For us, it will be the celebration of the shining through of the glory of God in the Son, Jesus, who is the great hope of the world. Epiphany will be a season for us of intentionally turning our eyes in a fresh way to look at who Jesus really is. 
So it makes sense to me uh, to start this journey together with what I think might be some of the best words ever recorded. Actually, right before I filmed this, I said um, that I think they're my favorite words ever written down in any language of all time. I love them. Uh, I'm a words person. I love words. Uh, I think that words matter. They matter so very much. They offer framing and direction and at times something tangible for us. Uh, they set us apart in nature as human. Uh, I read an article this week that called words the measure of our lives. Uh, we talk a lot in our house about words. We have this whole idea around earning words that um, I, I deeply value being someone who picks the mot juice. The, it's a French term for uh, finding the perfect word in the perfect minute. Uh, this is actually how we handle cuss words in the Mizell family. Uh, we don't talk so much about words being good or bad in and of themselves um, as we do talking about the best word in a specific situation or the best word for this moment or this experience or this feeling. And sometimes the best word is a bad word. Um, so just side note, choosing to handle cuss words like this has led to some very embarrassing moments as a parent. So I'm not recommending this strategy unless you are totally fine here your sweet child drop a bowling word in the middle of an Applebee's, hypothetically. Um, but back to words. I love them. Uh, and the, geek, the word geek in me and the pastor in me uh, just believes that the words that Johnny just read to us from John chapter 1, John's gospel, are some of the most beautiful and insightful and revolutionary words ever written, ever. Um, have you ever thought about this, about the writers of the scriptures, the writers of the New Testament, uh, John and the other gospel writers, uh, they have this incredibly difficult task. After Jesus died and he ascends to heaven, their job is to tell the story. Uh, their job is to write with words of the wild and magical things that they witness, to write with human words, human language of the divine experience, the holy experience. Their job was to try to describe what was indescribable. They have the task of going uh, beyond just the retelling of events in order to capture and frame something wild and divine. Uh, to describe not just the actions and events of their times with Jesus, but, but to try somehow to describe the heart of a divine king, to try to paint a picture of the power of his kingdom. And to do it in a way that will last forever. To, their job was to try to find words that are able to go beyond time and beyond place and to always exist. Their task is far greater and riskier than capturing just a certain series of events. They've been tasked not just uh, with telling a story that they lived and heard about, but also a story that is still living, still active, and still being told. That's a daunting task. Uh, for some context, these writers, they are Hebrews. They're, they're Jewish men who knew Jewish thought and Jewish custom, who had been raised on the Old Testament, who knew the Old Testament. And they have been tasked or called or empowered by the Spirit of God to write something beyond their own culture, beyond Hebrew culture, beyond Jewish culture, culture their own identity, their own practice, their own language. They have been tasked to go beyond Aramaic and into Greek to, to write not just for their own people, but for a people they had been close to their entire lives. Uh, a people of Hellenistic culture who knew far more about Plato and Aristotle and Greek mythology than they ever knew about Moses or Isaac or David or 
Esther or Isaiah. At the risk of sounding like a total geek, I think John does this so well. I don't think you're supposed to rank your favorite gospel writers, but he does this really well. He builds this bridge between culture and place and time so well, and he does it by beginning his book with a poem. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never extinguished it. In the very first verse of this poem, John chooses to frame, chooses a frame for Jesus that is so interesting and exciting and impossible to completely unpack, but we're going to try to give it a shot today. John, he calls Jesus the Word. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It gets better. Uh, the, the Greek word here is logos. Uh, today we translate logos simply as word. Uh, but again, so much gets lost in translations in translation. But um, to a Greek mind, logos is far more than just word. Logos is uh, more like a concept than a thing. It's a concept of central and like crucial importance and significance uh, in science and philosophy in Greek culture. Uh, there are variants and gradients to its meaning in each category, but essentially logos is um, the captured essence of all truth. The captured essence of all truth. In Greek mythology, uh, gods, uh, they were placed in the heart of poets to talk about, but John does something completely different. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't place gods in the hearts of poets. John, he places God in the logos, God as the logos, God as the captured essence of all truth. Placing God in the logos means declaring God the essence of all truth, all knowledge of the divine and all knowledge of the material, all existence, all facts, all laws, all every piece of information in all of the universe and every piece of information that exists in the mind. Uh, that's what it means for the logos to become flesh, for the logos to exist. When John tells us that uh, the word, that logos became flesh, he is telling us that everything that is and everything that has been lives under the umbrella of this man, of this God, this Jesus, this word. The church word for this is incarnation. It's the divine in both power and reason existing within a human and existing always in purpose and in plan. Incarnation is what uh, one of my favorite writers, Barbara Brown Taylor, calls God's self, God's soul, and God's life force in the flesh. From the beginning of the scriptures, we learn that the response to God's words were creation. Uh, Genesis tells us that God spoke and then things were made, that he called things into being animals and plants and people. Uh, and here John teaches us that when God speaks to that creation that he made with his words, when God speaks to creation, it comes out as Jesus. 
Beekner says, when God wanted to say what God is all about and what humankind is all about and what life is all about, it wasn't a sound that emerged, but a man. Jesus, the incarnation of the rescue and delight and mercy of God delivering on his promise since the very beginning to put all things back to right. When uh, God's word became flesh, a holy new and different word came into existence. The logos of God was not a lecture. It wasn't an advertisement or a rule. The logos took on flesh and made his home among us, took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood, Peterson says. The logos of God lived and worked and loved entirely divine and entirely human all at the same time. And the logos healed the sick and he cast out devils and he cared for the poor. He drew close to the children and the outcasts. He spoke the truth to power and he set up an ethic of life that would be full and free. Jesus, the mojust of God. The perfect word for the moment, the place, the thing, the feeling, Jesus, the exact right word. God's complete explanation of what God is. And at the same moment, God's complete explanation of what human is. The Father offered the world his word. Jesus' logos means that the silence of God was broken and Jesus became the language uh, by which we might find the Father. In Jesus, God speaks a better word than anything we could ever mumble. He speaks binding to the brokenhearted and freedom to the captives. He speaks forgiveness beyond what we are capable of, hope beyond what we would ever dare, mercy beyond our wildest dreams. In Jesus, God speaks the rescue and renewal and redemption of the world. Jesus as Logos means that no human ever, no human word ever has the final say over us. For God spoke the exact right word at the exact right time, the final word, the all-encompassing word of Jesus over us, of mercy, of love, of complete shalom over us, Jesus. One last thing. In Jesus, uh, as the Logos of God, we find God's complete explanation of the divine, uh, but we also, in Jesus, find God's complete explanation of human. That's why epiphany matters. It matters because it is a good thing. It's a worthy thing. It's a very Christian thing to explore the word, the logos of God, to shine light on and explore and try to understand and frame and collect stories of the what's and who and why of the divine. And also to shine light on and explore and try to understand and frame and collect stories on what it means to be human. In Jesus, we have an explanation of what it means to be God, and we have an explanation of what it means to be man. In him, we find teaching on how to become more human, and at the same time, in him, we find the power to become more holy. So it is our hope over the next few weeks at Springbrook, um, our, our, our hope is to look at the stories of the life of Jesus in attempt to glimpse to explore to understand the shining through of the Father and the Logos of the Son. Our hope is for new revelation and fresh insight about who Jesus is and what that has to tell us about what it means to be a human and what it means to be divine. 
And by doing this, by exploring and looking closer at Jesus, we might see what, uh, see more of what he has to say to us. Chad talks often about, to us, about identity, and I'm so grateful for that. I think there is a huge piece of epiphany that is not just an exploration of the identity of Jesus, but an exploration into what the logos of God has to say about our own identity as sons and daughters of the King. I'm so excited for the next few weeks as we unpack all of this together. Um, here's what I want to do for our Selah today. Um, you can do it right now or it may require you to do it down the road, but we're going to get into a little bit of ruckus today. Um, there is this centuries-old tradition in the church uh, throughout church history, a practice for Epiphany called chalking the door. Um, it's something that Christians have done for hundreds and hundreds of years uh, during Epiphany to remind themselves to recenter and realign their hearts to allow Christ to shine through in this season and in this new year. Uh, we talk a lot about how we want to invite our bodies to join what our minds and our hearts are doing. Uh, that's the work of spiritual practice in our lives. And chalking the door is one of those things. So here's how it works. In the Old Testament, the people of God uh, put blood, the blood of a lamb on the door to symbolize their belonging to God during the Egyptian exile. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to go find blood for your door. Uh, instead, for Epiphany, the church has... Um, for centuries marked the doors of their homes with chalk. Uh, they have written blessings of belonging on the places they live with, with chalk at the top of the doorframe or somewhere on the doorframe um, of the door to their home. Normally it's done on January 6th, marking a new season and a new year, and you can wait till Wednesday to do it if you want to. That's totally fine. Um, and, and you can do it however works. If you don't have chalk, that's okay. You can go get some and do it Wednesday or, or put it on a post-it or tape a sign to your door or write it in a Sharpie. I don't know. You can blame church history for to your landlord if you get in trouble. I don't know if that works, but uh, just somewhere, somewhere that you walk every single day. Write an epiphany blessing. Write words to remind you of your belonging to God. You can write whatever you want, whatever the Holy Spirit gives you. Uh, here's what, if you don't know what to do, traditionally, uh, the church has written the letter C and B with the year. So uh, essentially you would do 20 C and B 21. The year's 2021, 20, the letters are C and B. I'll write it out in the chat for you. The letters have two meanings. First, they represent the initials of the Magi, the three kings who came to visit Jesus, who history is recorded being named Caspar, um, Malchior, and Balthazar. So CMB. Second, they are an abbreviation of a Latin phrase, uh, Christus Mansonium Benedicat. That's real. I don't. Does anyone speak Latin? We'll pretend like that was right. Um, which means more importantly, may God bless, the, may Christ bless this house or may Christ bless this dwelling. You can write the letters or write out that phrase. Again, I'll put it on the chat or even just write, um, may Christ bless this home or, or maybe just write, I belong to Jesus on your door. I don't care what you write, but write something that will remind you to accept the blessing of God in your life this year, to remind you of your true identity, your belonging, to remind you to explore the logos, the word of God made human and who makes his home among you. 
That's the reminder that Christ makes his home in our home among us. And put that blessing on or around your front door somewhere so that you'll see it every day. Okay? Uh, I want to pray for us and bless us in this new year before we come to the table. So, Father, we love you. I have been ready for 2021. And so I ask your spirit to bless us. I ask you um, for the courage and the mercy to explore the word, the logos, Jesus. I ask you um, for the clarity of spirit to see what that exploration will teach us about who God is and what it means to be human. I pray that this year and in these moments and over this week that you would allow us, I don't know, that you would fill us with your spirit to give us eyes to see uh, the word becoming human and making his home in our home, in our space, in our lives, in our hearts. Would you remind us of Jesus who was full of unfailing love and faithfulness?